Metu Netter, Volume 2, Anuk Ausar, The Kemetic Initiation System, Chapter 4, The Making of the Tree of Life, beginning on page 64. In the everyday speech of the Kamal, the word Ra denotes work, action, the power to do work, etc., it has exactly the same meaning for energy in physics. Rat, the female gender of the word, we should also note, denotes tools. Ra is therefore the life, energy, or force deferring from other forces in that it is wedded to consciousness, will, and knowledge. A great impediment to understanding that Ra is the conceptualization of the creative function of the Supreme Being as a conscious life energy is the calm by Egyptologists that it is the sun god with the unavoidable conclusion that the Kamal worshiped the sun. Such a belief cannot be maintained in the face of evidence from the Kemetic nature, literature. Unlike the sun, Ra was subject to attack. It could be harmed by the forces of evil, Apep, Nak, Sabao, etc. This can only make sense if it is understood to be a force. The claim that Ra is the sun or the sun god can only be made by fully ignoring the main books and containing the Ra system for the realization of man's divinity. There are the Shat in Shabao, Book of Pop. Pylons and the Shat M Twat book of what is in the underworld, i.e., subconsciousness. In these two books, the subconscious is portrayed as an underworld divided into 12 sections that Ra passes through when he enters flesh, i.e., incarnates in man. Each hour corresponds to a set of things that must be known done, etc., in order to advance the consciousness life back to its liberated original state. Where Ra, the sun, then the following statement from the story of Ra and Auset would not make any sense. Ra tells Auset that he has, quote, multitude of names and multitude of forms, end quote, that Ra is a concept for an attribute of God. Its role as creator is made clear in the following excerpts. Quote, Homage to you who is Ra when you rise and Temu when you set. You are the God, one who came into being at the beginning of time. O one mighty of myriad forms and aspects. End quote. Three things are made clear in this text. The one God is not Ra. Ra is the aspect when it rises, i.e. when it is transformed from undifferentiated subjective to objective being. When it returns to its original undifferentiated state, it is Temu. It is this one being who the Kamau doggedly refused to give a name that is of myriad forms and aspects. It certainly could not be the sun that is myriad of forms and aspects, as even the sage knows that the sun has only one form. You may have noticed that the manifestations, 
the rising and the setting of God as Ra and Tamu were stated not in the past tense, but in the indefinite. This is because the supreme being is ever coming into being as things in the world and return into its essential undifferentiated state. Quote, Praise be to you, O Ra, exalt power, looker on the earth and brighter of Amenta. You are he who forms are his own creations and who makes your creations in your great son. End quote. Let's begin by noting that the text distinguishes Ra from its son. In fact, the word for the son is Aten. Egyptologists have tried to obfuscate the issue by rendering it the disk of the sun, which is the greatest interest, which is of greatest interest in the fact that the Kamau show an insight into the function of the sun that has only been recognized by Westerners following their advances in nuclear physics. That Ra makes his creation and his great sun is paraphrased in the teaching of physics that the sun is the factory wherein all physical matter and energies are created. It is this function of the sun that led to the close association of the sun with Ra. Unless we understand physics, we might think of the making of the sun on the same level with all other things. Suns are the factories wherein are made forces and building blocks of all things in the world. They are the nexus, the points of transformation wherein matter passes from its unshaped to its shaped form. Keeping in mind that the ultimate goal of cosmology is the understanding of self, the raw conceptualization of the highest aspect of God's manifestations did not integrate with the fact that at this level one finds a separation of being from one's faculties of creation, which are all combined in the symbol of Ra. In other words, while the faculties of creativity can be totally at rest, the self is forever conscious. This led to the sages to seek for another conceptualization for this stage of being. This led to the Asurian symbolization of the highest manifestation aspect of God. While Ra is consciousness will, dwelling in the active radiant energy of life, Ausar is consciousness dwelling in an inert and dead body, which although dead is still the prime objective source of life. No empty rhetoric here. It corresponds to the altered state of consciousness, Smahadi Sekhet Heptu, wherein is experienced the great peace and relaxation that is a prerequisite for the manifestation of our spiritual power. In this state, there is a cessation of all activities but consciousness. Thus, we can understand the hieroglyph symbolization of Ausar an eye representing consciousness under or beside a seat, representing the state of trance as well as in its metaphor, a mummy. In this manner, Ausar is made only to represent the first fear of the tree of life, pure, objective, omniscient consciousness. In contrast to Ra, which combines consciousness with the power of the word, the spiritual power, 
In addition, as we will later see, the Ausurian conceptualization of the highest aspect of manifested divinity is better is a better guide in our efforts to realize our divinity. The raw system of divine realization, which is contained in the Book of Pylons and Book of What is in the Duat, failed to gain widespread popularity with the Kamau on one hand because of the sheer difficulty in comprehending the system, and on the other, the danger involved in its method of directly confronting the dark forces of the subconscious made it suitable only for priests. That it was effective, there is no doubt. Many of the priests of a new rode its power in the way to the kingship. We must also take note of the fact that the symbolization of our Sar by the eye replaces the earliest comedic conceptualization of the supreme being as omniscient consciousness through the eye of Eru. In this chapter on the spiritual psychology of man, we will see the visual perception and thinking is the key to the unification of our consciousness and ourselves with the world. In this, it is thus that we will be able to understand the unifying function of the first sphere of the tree of life of Ausar. Finally, we must take note of the fact that although the Ausurian and Ra theological systems established Ausar and Ra at the head of the Pout Neturu, in time Ausar was held to be the sole and chief representative of this position. A major reason for the unsuitability of Ra is the complexity of its symbolism which embraced several spheres of the tree of life. The central point of the circle representing the sun corresponds to consciousness will, hence spheres one and two. The serpent represents the spiral and the mathematical patterns underlying creation and thus corresponding to the wisdom faculty sphere two in the divine plan sphere three. The solar energy wherein is manufactured in fundamental forces and particles of physical matter correspond to sphere three. In contrast, the attributes of Ausar limits it as a symbol of sphere one. As a mummy, it is the attribute of God which is the source of life, although it is inactive itself. The dead-like state symbolic of the highest state experienced in meditation is an essential prerequisite for awakening our spiritual powers. As an eye, the all-seeing, it represents the divine omnipresence, as it is the one being dwelling in all things as their consciousness and being. It is the unity of the world. It is important to realize that this and other reasons, which will be fully explored in this book, account for the evelation of the Alsorian theology above all others. The fact that the Alsorian priests did not gain political preeminence refutes the claim by Egyptologists that the popularity of comedic deities depended on the politics of, country, of the country. I cannot overemphasize the point that these are not deities, but conceptualizations of attributes of one supreme being. The Kamau were intellectually and spiritually restless people. They never rested in their 
quest for improving on the understanding of God and the divine way of life. Alsar became the comedic Godhead because it was the best conceptualization of the first and highest manifestation of the supreme being and the divinity within man. The second act of manifestation, the supreme being brings forth its creative faculties, Tehuti and Sekert. The second act of manifestation is the supreme being's bringing forth of its creative faculties. These are the divine will and wisdom which correspond to the second sphere and the spiritual power of God which corresponds to the third. The second sphere, Tehuti and Shu, the divine will and wisdom. Simply put, man has developed sciences, systematically arranged bodies of facts or truths showing the operation of general laws because the forces and particles that form the foundation of physical reality were created on the basis of these general laws. This was made clear in the Theban account of creation which makes the creation of the laws governing the world. The first manifestation following the supreme beings coming into being as Ausar. Quote, not found I a place I could stand wherein I enlightened my will. I laid a foundation in the divine law or order, and I made every attribute. I was alone, not had I emitted Shu, not had I emitted Tefnut, not existed another who worked with me. End quote. It is remarkable that unlike the creations accounted of other cultures, including that of contemporary science, Kamau understood that before things could come into being, the intelligence of the creator had to lie down in a, a general set of immutable laws which upon the creation must be based. This observation gains an importance once we consider the fact that the main purpose of cosmology is to provide man with a blueprint for living. He, she must base all actions in life on divine law as opposed to feelings. Duality and equilibrium, the basis of the law. All aspects of reality are underlied by the principle of duality. Even at the original level of being, the subjective realm, the attributes of Netter are dualized into the material basis of the world, new and the immaterial consciousness, amen. Tem, which wills the world into being by inducing matter to assume forms. Each of these are in a state of inactivity or absolute equilibrium. Matter is undifferentiated and consciousness has nothing to perceive and the will is inactive. The world is nothing else but an objective expression of this original duality and equilibrium. On the surface, of course, the dual relationship are hard to trace beyond the obvious polarities of male, female, positive and negative charges, and so on. The same can be said for the principle of equilibrium. Disorder seems to be the law more than the exception. Simply stated, the chief comedic divine laws state that one, all you things are dual for or each pole is half of a unit or that each thing represents half of a part of a larger whole. Two, the elements 
of a set of duality must be maintained in equilibrium with each other. For example, the maleness of men is not due to 100% presence of male hormones as men poses female hormones, which makes them dual in nature. The predominance of male hormones in men makes them unbalanced in their perspective in life and social actions. The same must be said of women. The two must come together to combine the essence of their genders to create a balanced perspective on life. This imbalance applies only to men and women who have not developed the higher part of their being, which is balance in nature. Throughout the course of this book, we have opportunities to look at many of the significant duality in our lives and the world. We must understand at this point that the world is held together by a law that is based on the equilibrated dual nature of all things, wholes and units. The principle of equilibrated dual elements composing a whole was first enunciated in the ideas of Shu and Tefnut. That they were halves of a whole was explained by their presentation as husband and wife, the characteristic comedic way of expressing duality and polarity. Unschooled in the Kabbalah, the oldest expression of which we find in comedic literature, the oldest in the world, Egyptologists failed miserably to understand the ideas surrounding Shu and Tefnut. The key element of the Kabbalah is association by correspondences. When we say that A corresponds to B, C, and D, it is important to realize that we are not saying that A is A, B, C, D, is B, C, D, but abstract general class that these things belong to. Not only can they be specific and concrete examples of genre, they can also be metaphors for attributes that the general class stands for. Thus, a great deal of confusion has been created by the Egyptologist's claim that the shoe is the light, air, fire, and tefnut is moisture. Change is to correspond and you will get the proper understanding. The problem is compounded by the common error of Egyptologists in believing that the ancient Egyptians could not think abstractly. It was the Egyptologists who were deficient in their abilities to understand the abstract use of images. Shu corresponds to the abstract category, the nature of which is explained by the qualities that can be abstract by light, air, and fire, considered as metaphors. It is thus the category for all things and energies that are expansive, tend to rise, active, masculine, destructive, energizing, initiating activity, centrifugal, electric, and so on. Its highest essential expression is the divine word that initiates creative activity. It is exactly the same in meaning as the Chinese concept of yang. Thus is made the two correspond to the divine will, which give a primordial impulse to new to assume forms and operates at the second sphere of the tree as the will of God head. 
Tefnut corresponds to the abstract category, the nature of which is explained by the qualities that can be abstracted by moisture and water considered as a metaphor. It is the category for all things and energies that are centripetal, introverted, feminine, magnetic, downward in motion, yielding, conservative, inactive basis of formation. It's the highest essential expression is the divine law that guides the divine word in its creative tasks. It is exactly the same in meaning as the Chinese concept of yin. The Theban tree ran into some problems as it introduced the divine law which corresponds to sphere four. Before the divine womb, which corresponds to sphere three, to be exact, the divine will induces activity in the words which is exact, which actuality resides in sphere three. In addition, there was nothing intrinsic in the shoe concept that addressed itself to the to the wisdom of God's will and knowledge. The problem was corrected by the school of Kaman's conceptualization of the divine wisdom and will as Tehuti. The word Tehuti is composed of Tehu, to measure, and Ti, dual. Thus sum summarizes itself the duality that is implied in the relationship between Shu and Tefnut. Tehu, which means to measure, to weigh, etc., is tied into the faculty's function of equilibrium. The wisdom faculty, unlike the intellect, does not divine a thing scientifically simply by its mathematical identity. The complete measurement of a thing must include its assigned place in space and time, i.e. its position in relationship to all other things and the whole. This enables us to weigh even the things and events that cannot be represented quantitatively, such as philosophical, moral, and religious ideas. It also enables us to avoid the common Western scientific error of claiming knowledge based on a thing's specific behavior and ignorance of its effect and interdependence on other things and the whole. This process was known to the Kamau as the Uachet Metut, the idea survives, albeit meaninglessly, in the common expression of weighing both sides of an issue or what was said, etc. Once the whole is split into parts as the world, it becomes the task of the wisdom faculty to trace the relationship of the parts to each other and to the whole. In reality, this is the function of science. Not only does the wisdom faculty trace the connection between things, it intuits their nature from the Godhead in order to initiate the process that creates them. Thus, Tehuti has received a number of appellatives in the Kemetic scriptures. It is the inventor of sciences, mathematics, writing, the will of Ra, the maintainer of equilibrium of the world, the albiter who prevented anyone from destroying the other, the resolver of dispute between the two combat combatants, or he who makes the two brothers to go home in peace. The composition of the name of Tehuti of its great interest 
It combines to who to measure with T dual to note that the measurement of the aspects of reality must be dual in nature. The specific action of a thing must be balanced by its effect upon the whole in order to know its true nature. To who contains who, which corresponds to the divine will. In addition, as as was shown in volume one, who is also the word of power, the hekau that is the source of operation of this faculty. Some scribes also rendered the name as tekhuti or jehuti, but this is a theological error. In comedic philosophy, there are fundamental lines of thinking about the word. As a symbol, it is called metu. Since images are the fundamental basis of symbolism, the root of the word is tut, an image. In relation to the power of suggestion of the connotation of the word, it was called tek or dehet. It was metaphorically represented by female cobra symbol of the spiral. As the specific energy control and specific manifestations, it was called hekau i.e. word of power. We will see that the use of words for their subject suggestive power is a function of the intellect. As the will of the Godhead which initiates creative activities through Hekau, Tehuti is called the mighty in speech whose words took immediate effect. A very important truth that is revealed by the wisdom faculty comes to us from the priest of An who conceptualized the wisdom faculty as an aspect of the serpent, Nhebeb Kao. As a complete being and vehicle of God's expression as an entity unlike all other creatures, man must include within his being elements of compulsive behavior and the freedom to choose. We will see that this duality is focused in the distinction and interplay between man's self and his or her person. Here ends the reading on page 73.